Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. It was some years ago that I got the chance to um, to speak at, at different events, and I got a chance to meet the young man that I'm about to introduce to you. And I saw a ministry on his life, a mantle upon his life that I don't see upon people typically when I talk to them. There was something that stood out to me that was far above uh, what you would normally bump into someone and meet them and kind of feel over their life. And what was amazing was that this this was not something that uh, that I invoked, it was something the Holy Spirit provoked in me to let to know this young man is going to make some changes in the world today that we see, and he's going to be innovative, and he's going to be uh, someone that's going to do some things. And I'm like, Lord, yes, let it be, let it be. And uh, that is exactly what has happened in his life as I followed him over the years. And I'm 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 very proud to introduce a man that uh, has uh, the heart of God and, and his focus. And the word of God on his sights. And his desire is to help bring God's people closer to Jesus. And that they will become disciples. And him and his bride, um, Joanna, and their two kids. And they, they just are completely focused on seeing the glory of God in the, 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 cho- the, the local church. And um, they served as youth pastors in Michigan for some years, for several years, under some wonderful ministry friend of mine as well. Um, out there in Michigan, and just recently, as of late, has has decided to step out in faith and go full time doing what he's about to do here this morning. And I know, I know, uh, some of you know uh, my wife and I's past. We were full time traveling evangelists, and that is not an easy thing to just step up and do. But God has called them, and I'm watching God do some amazing things already as He's been speaking internationally and also across the nation. So please stand to your feet and welcome to the house of the Freedom House. Peter Reeves. Come on, Peter. Bring it. Amen. Amen and amen. Oh, church, normally I, uh, I would get up here and uh, go crazy because it's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Come on, isn't there just something special about being in the presence of God? Amen. But today, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'll show you all the pictures and do all the things that guest speakers are supposed to do, but I was getting absolutely touched during worship. Uh, I couldn't even raise my hands. I was so moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, just environments like this, I don't care where you are, they don't just happen. They have to be cultivated. They have to be sustained. They have to be, the ground has to break. And as I was just uh, weeping during worship, and I'll talk about that for a moment, I just realized that what happened here this morning was absolutely intentional. And that's because you have great pastors who are committed to seeing the presence of God move in people's lives over everything else. This house is a presence-driven church. It's about Jesus. It's about what God is doing. And I'll tell you, that doesn't just happen. And so I think it would be foolish to not just stand for a moment with me, church, and thank God for your incredible pastors who are leading the way. Come on, would you stand this morning? Can we just clap for them this morning? Hey, thank you for sowing your life 
into this church for the last 12 years. Thank you for being a man and woman of integrity. Thank you for no compromise. Come on, church, would you clap today? It just happened. You can be seated. You can be seated. Oh, thank you, God. Um, what an honor it is to be here today. Um, first off, the only reason I am preaching the gospel today, some of you heard me say this last night, and I mean it to be true, is because I heard Pastor Tony. When I was, I mean, pretty much since the time I was 14 to the time I was 18, graduated in 2011 from high school, uh, he would come to our church and do our youth events often. And uh, if I'm being honest, uh, I don't really remember all the messages. I remember his jokes more than his messages. But I remember him praying with me at the altar every single time he came. I would just feel his hand on my shoulder. Sometimes put his hand on my head and he would pray over me. And I remember specifically the last time hearing him preach the gospel. And I thought to myself, I, I want to do that. I want to do that. I've been so impacted by that. Your pastor is a man of God, and uh, you are blessed. Uh, you're like, this is awkward that you're talking about him so much. Well, let it be awkward then, because who are we if we're not thankful for the, the people that the Lord has sent uh, to make a difference in our life? And uh, I think you should honor him more. I think you should bless his family more. I think you should thank him more. Come on, clap one more time, church. Just one more time. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, oh man, I, I know this is not like, like I'm supposed to do the whole thing, right? Like, ah, I'm glad to be here. Woo. Right. But I just, I was just weeping during worship, especially uh, when we got to that part, uh, we were singing Waymaker. Now uh, this song is near and dear to me because my two year old, even though we think she just got saved, she sings Waymaker a lot. Uh, like one time I put her in timeout. I was like, Charlie, I'm done with you. Go to timeout. And then we just hear her Waymaker. I'm like, you're not worshiping your way out of timeout. It's ridiculous. But, but I, I couldn't help but listen to the lyrics of the song and think to myself, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. And that part, promise keeper, I promise you, every time we sang it this morning, I just wept like a baby. I couldn't even lift my hands. I feel like the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, and it, but it, it makes sense to me why it's so powerful. Because there is a promise of God. I don't even know if I'm going to preach this word that I wrote today. There is a promise of God over this church. The promise of God is in the name, freedom, life. That means that what God is going to do through this church is going to set this entire region free. People who are bound, people who are broken, people who are hopeless are going to experience freedom, life. The promise of God over this region is in the name. And because you are here and because this is your church and because this is the body of Christ that you belong to, there is a freedom mantle and an anointing on your life. You don't just get to go to work like everybody else. You get to walk in freedom. Oh, you step into the grocery store and freedom. You step into people's houses and freedom. You walk around your neighborhood and there's freedom. You go to work and there's freedom. This is the mantle on this house. It is a promise from God to this region. He said, I wanted to get freedom over here. So I'm going to send a man and a woman to plant a church whose promise is in the name. And that promise will be delivered. I'm telling you today, the promise keeper. The promise keeper. Then I began to think about the promises of God that were, have been released over the people of God. And the Lord just began to minister to me about family. 
And uh, I already knew I was coming to preach about family. It's something I'm really passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about my family as we're singing Waymaker. Um, let, me, let me do this first before I get to this part, because once I get here, there's no turning back. Once I start talking about this, let me show you a picture of my family really quick. And uh, this is for some of you who were here last night, you've seen this picture already, but this is my family. And uh, that is my beautiful bride, Joanna, and our two wonderful kids that are absolutely gifts from God. Let me tell you something. We were told, uh, we, we tried to get pregnant for, for seven years and we're told, oh, I'm sorry, for five years, a seven year process though. And we were told that we were never going to be able to have children. And uh, that's what, uh, heaven thinks about earth's diagnosis. Amen. The doctor said, why do you keep spending all this money? It's not going to work for you. And I said, <laughs> because I'm not listening to what you're saying. Like, like I understand you have more degrees than a thermometer, but you don't know God. So, so, so why would I build my life on what you say when I know the one who breathes breath into both of our lungs? And I'm thankful, and maybe people will say this is not a miracle, but we were told we cannot have kids. Both of our babies are IVF babies, and the Lord has taken care of us and blessed us. And I'll tell you right now, they they are marked by the power of God, both of our little babies. Anyway, that is my family, and me and my wife run a wonderful ministry. We're super passionate about foster care and adoption, so in addition to preaching the gospel, we partner with foster families all around the the country right now, and eventually it'll be the world. Um, Reeves Initiative is our ministry, and uh, the initiative is sending students on spiritual transformation trips and helping families step into the call of God on their life. So that's what we do. Uh, There's a next slide coming up right now that you can see if you want to join our prayer team. Uh, Man, I'll tell you what, finances are great, uh, but what moves the entire ministry are prayers of passionate people of God, and uh, this is the most valuable thing to us. So if you want to be a part of our prayer team, we send one to three texts a month letting you know what God is doing through our ministry and uh, where we're going so you can pray with us. That's awesome. Okay, family. <laughs> so you're like, that, the thing that you're supposed to talk about so much, you just breeze by. Absolutely. Because God gave me a word this morning. I was just here, again, weeping in worship, totally overcome, thinking about the families of this church. Don't you understand that one of the greatest opportunities that you and I have to see the power of God affect the world around us is the ones that God has already entrusted to us. Can I tell you, Freedom Life Church, God is trying to do something in your family that is radical and changes generations. What God is trying to do in your family is his first option. Dare I say it today to make religious people uncomfortable, but what's more important than you winning people to Jesus is you standing in the promise of God over your family. Your family. Family is God's first institution. Family is God's initiative and God's prerogative. And the Lord began to minister to me so deeply that I just said, okay, let me put this word to a side. Maybe I'll get to it, but I got to tell you this first. That family is God's priority for your life. Jesus investing, I'm sorry, Jesus in the middle of, invited into your family, transforming your your marriage, transforming your relationship with kids, allowing you to operate in forgiveness, giving you boldness to speak a word of encouragement, a word of life. Family is what God has, has called us to. And family is exactly what the enemy's after. Let me say it like this today. Family Oh man, family is God's number one mission for humanity. It is. Let me explain. We look at the world today and we see a very dark religious scene. I just saw on the news a couple days ago uh, that a young lady 
uh, took her life, 14 years old in New Jersey, took her life because a video went viral of her getting bullied by some friends and everyone saw it and she was so overcome with shame and grief that she took her own life. This is the religious scope of our, this is the, um, I'm sorry, the cultural scope of our world. And in the middle of a world that is dark, in the middle of a world with many crimes and scenes and situations, I hear the Lord speaking about family. How do we win the entire earth? Family. How do we see the glory of God come to pass? Family. Let me explain today. Uh, the sto- there's a story in the Bible that perfectly explains what I want to teach you today. And I hopefully will even get to these notes. It's the story of Abraham. But before his name is Abraham, his name is Abram. Here's the story. To tell you the story of Abram, I got to tell you the story of a man named Noah. Okay? So Noah, we know, is a man of God who builds an ark that saves his entire family based off one word from God. By the way, Noah took 120 years to see one thing that God spoke to him come to pass. For sometimes God will speak one thing and that one thing will last you a lifetime and you can continue to build on it. Why? Because he's a promise keeper. Okay, so he builds this ark. Well, the story is this. After Noah builds the ark, him and his family settle across the earth. One day Noah is, maybe he's going through something. We don't know. The scripture doesn't give us details, but we know this. He has too many Capri sons and the Bible says he's drunk, okay? He's in a tent, he's drunk, and he's naked. I don't know why the two correlate, but he's drunk and naked. He's in the tent. He had too many Capri sons, okay? And the Bible says that he had three sons. Now, Noah is a fantastic builder, terrible at naming kids. His three sons are Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Do you know how easy it would be to bully a kid named Ham? Okay, three, three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And the Bible says that Ham comes into the tent when his father's drunk and looks at his father in an inappropriate way. Can I tell you, you and I live in a culture today when for whatever lack of reason, we are looking at fathers in an inappropriate way. Come on, the scripture tells us, you have many teachers, not many fathers. So he sees his dad in an inappropriate way. The other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, they see what's wrong. They come backwards into the tent and they cover their father's nakedness because this is what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to cover the shame and the failure of people in our family. We don't see them in shit. But let me tell you, this is, this is the narrative of cross families. You messed up. You screwed up. You should be guilty. But what God has actually called us to do is to cover the shame of our family. So that's what the two brothers do. And when their father wakes up, they say, dad, we need to tell you something. Hey, our brother looked at you inappropriately. So Noah looks at his son, Ham, and he says, cursed be Canaan. You're like, who is Canaan? Canaan was the son of Ham. Now, if you know the Bible in any capacity, you know that Canaan was a land. But before Canaan was a land, Canaan was a man. And before Canaan was a man, he was a son, the son of Ham. So Noah looks up, he looks up, gets up from his nakedness and his drunkenness, looks at his son Ham and says, cursed be my grandson because of what the father did. You see, because what one generation does in moderation, the next generation will experience an excess. That's why it's important for you to overcome your porn addiction, your drug addiction, your anxiety problem, your depression, because what is it added in your life will be multiplied in the next generation. Help me under, I'm trying to help you understand this today. So he looks at his grandson and he, or he looks at his son and says, curse me, my grandson, because what we allow to be a part of our life, the, the things that are killing us become a curse for our kids. So he says, curse me, my grandson. So what does that actually mean though? 
It means that wherever Canaan goes to settle, that that place becomes cursed. Okay, let me, let me, I need to break up the room a little bit. Let me just explain it like this. If Canaan <laughs> goes to Burger King, it's no longer have it your way, amen? He's cursed. If he goes to Chick-fil-A, like it's not longer Jesus chicken, it's cursed chicken, okay? I'm trying to tell you today. He goes to Taco Bell late at night, church, and it is closed at 7 p.m. You see what I'm saying? Wherever he goes is a cursed land now. And so that's where a lot of us settle. There's a curse on my family. And you know how we settle into the curse? Yeah, well, you know, my, my grandfather struggled with this, so I guess that's what I'm going to struggle with. I am my father's son. Yeah, yeah, this sickness, this disease, it's always been a part of my family. Yeah, you know, we haven't really been good with money management. It's just kind of always been like that. We haven't had enough. Yeah, it's kind of always been that way. Friends, the curse should stop with you. Okay? So here, so watch this. Wherever Canaan goes, that place now becomes a cursed land. It's cursed. Why? Because of what his father had done. A lot of the battles our kids are facing are things that we didn't deal with when we had chances to come to the altar. And so Canaan is now in a cursed land, in a broken land. And the Bible says there comes a man and his name is Abram. His name is Abram. So Abram comes and Abram is a man with a covenant. Abram is a man that's not intimidated of weeping in worship. Abram is a man that understands that God is his source. Abram is a man that understands that family is God's priority moving forward in the faith. Abram understands the call of God. And guess where he settles? In a land called Canaan. Wait a minute. Why would God send a covenant man to a cursed land? That's what he does. He sends covenant people to curse lands and they begin to redeem and restore and see miracles in the curse land that God sent them to. Now watch this. God looks at a man who's in covenant, sends him to a place where it's cursed. That place is Canaan. And now God looks at Abram and says, your name is now Abraham. Because he inherited what 4,000 years earlier a man named Ham forfeited when he looked at his father inappropriate. This is God's prerogative for every person that you wouldn't just see God move around you, but that you would see God move in you and your family. He says, Abram, your name is now Abraham, and what was cursed becomes blessed because you walk in covenant. <laughs> this is the story of the scripture. And from generation to generation to generation, it's always been about family because he's a promise keeper. I want to read it to you a text. I will go right to this message. Uh, you can put the scripture up on the screen. Uh, this text is a text from Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And it says, that's not the only time to Rebecca a promise was made that took priority over genetics when she became pregnant by our one-of-a-kind ancestor Isaac and her babies were still innocent in the womb, incapable of good or bad. She received special assurance from God. What God did in this case is made it perfectly plain, oh, religious people hate this one, that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do. His purposes, church, are not dependent on what we do or don't do, but a sure thing determined by his decision flowing steadily from his initiative. God told Rebecca, the firstborn of your twins will take second place. Later, that was turned into a stark epigram. I love Jacob and I hated Esau. <laughs> Who am I reading about today? I'm reading now about Abraham's, 
The man who walks in covenant, I'm reading about his daughter-in-law. This story is rewritten by the Apostle Paul, which is why it's in Romans, and he's trying to get us to see something about family that I think is going to help you today. Man, so many of us are crying out, we want to see God move. It is easier to see God move around you than to see him move in the people that he's called you to. Maybe I should smile more so you can rock with me today, church. It's easy to pray for people on the street. It's easy to post about how good God is. It's easy to walk up to a stranger. But what about your cousin that you still haven't forgiven for 20 years? What about your uncle that maybe messed up with you in a bad way and you haven't been able to pray for? What about your kids that are walking out on God? What about your marriage that is not thriving but just existing? It's easier to see God move around you, but what about within you? Family. Of course the enemy is attacking the people of God in such nature. Because the most important thing is family. It was God's way. That's why in the beginning of the, even in the beginning of the New Testament, you read, and this person begot this person, begot that person, begot so-and-so, begot, begot, begot. You're like, why are they giving me the entire genealogy? Because in the genealogy is the story of God through the generations. Let me help you understand today that what God wants to do through you, man, I'll tell you, it's not just in you. It is multiple generations down the line. He is using your family lineage and your line to restore what he wants to do in the area he's called you to. Okay. I'm fascinated. You could just leave this up the entire time, my man. I'm going to work. I don't even need notes. I'm telling you right now, this right here, I'm so fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by that thought that a promise took priority over genetics. I'm fascinated by it. I love it so much because here's what I know about God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all a yes and an amen in Christ. What does that mean? That means every promise that God made down through the generations of the church, promises he made to Abraham, promises he made to Noah, promises he made to King David, they become a yes and an amen for every single one of us who are in Christ. That's why Jesus is the focus of everything that we do. Why is he the focus? Because in him, every promise is a yes and an amen. Now watch this. I begin to do some simple math. The scripture says in, second, in that second Corinthians verse, it says, for no matter how many promises. So I said, well, how many promises are there? If you do a little counting, you'll find out that there's roughly 8,800 promises in the scripture. Right? So let's do some simple math today. 8,800 divided by 365 comes out to 24.1. What, do you, what am I trying to say today? Friends, God has given us 24 promises in the scripture for every single day. How convenient that there's 24 hours in every day. So what is God saying to you and I? That if you're depressed or you're mad or you're frustrated, that's on you because there's a promise of God for every hour of every day. There's a promise of God for every moment you will experience. There's a promise of God for every situation and circumstances. 24 promises for every single day of our year. His promises have priority over genetics today. I love students because students hear a word like this and they take it to the bank. They are cashing in immediately what they hear from God. I had a young man at a camp who needed his inhaler at every single turn of the camp. I mean, at one point we were even in worship and my man was holding up his inhaler. I was like, that's commitment. I mean, he could not talk with, I mean, he's like, hi, my name's Robert, and I, you know, just everything. And during the services, Robert takes his inhaler, I'm preaching one night, he takes his inhaler, 
smashes it on the ground. He's like, I'm free. I don't have asthma anymore. God healed me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Everyone over 18 in this camp, we are going to jail. We going. So Robert gets on the phone with his mom. Obviously, everybody wants to know what happened. Robert says, mom, I went to the altar today and I got healed. And she's like, son, that is wonderful. You got healed, but still keep your inhaler on you. He said, mom, too late. I already smashed it on the ground. Pastor Peter said, I said, Pastor Peter didn't say nothing. (laughs) But, But how many of you know that story doesn't end with a young man in an argument with a mom? It ends with a young man who truly for the rest of that week and honestly still to this day did not need his inhaler because he got touched by the power of God. Why? Because his promises have priority even over our genetics. Had a young um, couple at a camp in Louisiana. Uh, My friend Weston texted me. He said, Peter, do you remember this couple that you prayed for? So what, what was the issue? He said they were going through infertility issues. He said, in that camp, you brought, you called them out and you laid your hand on that woman's belly. He said, I said, yeah, yeah, I remember the story. What, what, what's going on with it? He said, Peter, I just, I'm calling to tell you that when you prayed over them, they felt like something broke. Something happened. And he said, I just want to let you know that they're expecting their baby to be due and the baby's already been born. Come on. Why? You're like, why did that miracle happen? It has nothing to do with me. It's his promises that take priority over genetics. Don't you know as a believer in Christ, you have authority to speak from heavenly places and to see the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our God. All I did was apply what I know to be true in scripture, put my hands on that girl's belly and said, no baby sneaks into the earth. Lord, you're the one that forms babies. So do something in this room. And boom, what happened? Pregnancy, life, goodness of God. Because his promises have priority over our genetics. When I say genetics today, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about our family history. I'm talking about our habitual sins. I'm talking about family brokenness that has existed for generations. And we have to talk about this today because many have used their family genetics as an excuse to live however they want. Yeah, yeah, divorce kind of runs in my family, so I don't really want to commit to anyone. I just like to have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, I mean, my grand, great-grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, we all have struggled with the same issue, and I just don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to manage it. You go to Freedom Life Church, you think God called you to manage what has been consuming your family for multiple generations? Last time I checked, the promise of this church is in the name Freedom Life. Why doesn't it stop with you? That's what I'm talking about today. You know, for me, when we start talking about genetics, my father, and I'll just be very vulnerable today. Hopefully you can handle it. Uh, he, he wasn't a good man. That's why it's so pivotal for me to see people like Pastor Tony preaching the gospel, men who I can mirror my life after and be inspired by and creep on on Facebook. I did. I creeped on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I want to say something to you and then you'd be like, how do you know that detail about my life? I'm like, I saw it six years ago. Praise God on Facebook. Um, <laughs> It was important for me to see men of God because my father, honestly, wasn't a good man. My father was what maybe some would call a womanizer, a functioning alcoholic, addicted to pornography. And my aunts, his sisters, would look at me and they say, Peter, as a little boy, they go, you remind us so much of your dad. You have the same tendencies as your dad. You have the same mirroring perspective as your father. 
You, you have the same understand. You, you reminded so much of your father. And it bothered me so deeply as a young man. It really did. And then one day the Lord spoke to me and said, Peter, the reason your aunts keep talking like that is because they have an idea of the blood that runs through your veins, but they have no idea about the blood of Jesus that covers your life. Oh, the promises of God have priority over genetics. And all the courage I needed to lead my family into a loving relationship with God. I'll tell you right now, my parents got divorced early in my life. Me and my wife this year will celebrate nine years of being married. Why? Because his promises have priority over genetics. As a minister of the gospel, my purity is intact. My heart is on fire. I'm set in the ways of the Lord. So different from my father. Why? Because his promises have priority over genetics. Oh, in multiple generations of the Reese family line, maybe there were some difficulties, some drama, and some insecurities, but my two-year-old is running around our house singing he is a promise keeper why because his promises have priority over genetics today now church i i didn't anticipate doing this like the whole stool thing i just was so moved in worship when we sang that line promise keeper and i want to talk about the promise of god today that has priority over your genetics what am i trying to say today you are not at the mercy of your situation You are not at the mercy of unforgiveness in your family. You are not at the mercy of the brokenness that has existed for multiple generations. God wants to do a miracle. He wants to do it in your family. He wants you to have a relationship with your immediate family and your extended family and your kids. He wants to restore affection in your marriage. He wants to move in a powerful way in your family. Why? Because his his promises have priority over genetics. Now watch this today. Our story is about a woman named Rebecca. And we know that Rebecca ends up having two sons. She ends up having two sons, but in this moment of her life that the Apostle Paul is writing about, she's battling infertility. She's infertile. She cannot produce. And that's a picture of some of our spiritual lives. Because we're present with God, we come to church, we're in the moment, but we feel like out of our spiritual life, we cannot produce anything. Some of you actually are struggling with physical infertility, but a lot of Christians are struggling with spiritual infertility. So Rebecca's this woman who was married to a man named Isaac. Someone say Isaac. Isaac, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the family she's born into. And now because she's married to Isaac, that would make the patriarch of our faith, Abraham, her father-in-law. Now watch this. Everyone in the land knew about the promise that God gave to this man named Abraham. Can you tell I like the Bible? I just think this stuff is so interesting. Abraham had a promise from God that all of us should know. It was that you are going to be the father of many nations. The problem is, is what Abraham was experiencing and the promise of God didn't line up. And let me tell you today, many of us are in that position. God has spoken something to us that doesn't line up. His promise, our, our experience and his promises don't line up. But I'm telling you today, have a little faith because it will. It will line up. He's too faithful and too good and too merciful for his promises and our experience to not line up. So anyway, Rebecca belongs to this family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a promise of God over this family. God spoke to Abraham even in his old age. He's like, buddy, get ready. Get some diapers. Get a little pack and play because you about to have a baby. Abraham's like, God, I'm almost 100 years old. He's like 100 years young. Come on, praise him. Come on, you are not 65 years old. You're 65 years young. Shout out, I got you. And so now Abram has this, Abram has this baby, okay? And now his son Isaac is now in a similar situation, married to a young lady who is infertile. Woo, similar situation. 
And I imagine that Rebecca, look, this is what I imagine. When God spoke that promise to Abraham and it came to pass, everyone was excited. Oh my gosh, yes! God's going to restore his people. I imagine everyone was excited about that promise except this girl, Rebecca. You know why? Because she had a problem getting pregnant. She probably said something like this. God, why would you put me in this family? Have you ever said that before? Her husband, Isaac, not only did infertility precede his life, because his mom struggled to have him, but it was present in his world. He probably said something like, God, why is this only happening to me? Have you ever said that before? This is the story of Rebecca. She marries into the only family where the promise of their God on their life is more family, and the one thing she can't do is get pregnant. Could you imagine how she felt? Overwhelmed, insecure, frustrated. Listen to this. Her father-in-law is one of the greatest men in the Bible, and the only thing standing in the way of what God promised him is her. Can you imagine how she felt today? Friends, you could be exactly where God called you to and still be overwhelmed and still be frustrated and still be insecure. Not only that, Rebecca is in a culture where the value of women was based on how many kids they could have. And she can't have kids. So she felt invaluable in the culture. And then when she would go home into that family, they were frustrated that she couldn't get pregnant, even though her father-in-law, his servants, picked her for this son. Can you imagine how she felt today? Let me say it like this. Rebecca represents every single person in the body of Christ every single person in the body of Christ who is frustrated at the life that God gave them or is disappointed at who God called them to be. Now, I know we're not allowed to talk like that in church. I know none of you, I never get any amens when I say something like that. I was like, yes, I feel that way because in church, you're supposed to have it all together. Brother, how are you? I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord, the head and not the tail, going towards the east and not the west. Praise him. I know we're not allowed to talk about disappointment and shame and brokenness in church. Listen, I know I'm the only one in this room that struggles with the rest of you. You don't struggle with it at all. You wake up in the morning, you sneak into the church and take a bath in the baptismal, you eat communion for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But some of us in this room can be real enough and say at some point in our journey and in our life, we are frustrated at the family that God called us to, disappointed at the life that God has given us, and Rebecca represents all of us who have ever felt that way in this room. But God whispers to her. He speaks to her. He comforts her, according to the text from the Apostle Paul. Let's go through it today. It says this, and and that's not the only time to Rebecca. A promise was made that took priority over genetics. See, for some of us, we we read that, and uh, we, we immediately begin to think about our weakness and our brokenness, our darkness. Can I tell you? I want to teach you how God deals with darkness. Because some of you are thinking about your family right now, thinking about your internal makeup, and you're like, there's so much darkness. Let me teach you how God treats darkness. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void, formless, and dark. Void, formless, and dark. Let me teach you this morning how God deals with your darkness, how he deals with your anxiety, how he deals with your depression, how he deals with your addiction, how he deals with all these things that have been a part of your family. The Bible says that in the middle of that place where it was void, empty, and dark, I bet you Rebecca's womb felt void, empty, and dark. Some of your spiritual lives feel void, empty, and dark. Here's what the Bible says about God in the middle of darkness, that he spoke, let there be light. Come on. 
Can I suggest to you today that God is not intimidated by your darkness, but that your darkness is the perfect canvas that God uses to create things that he loves. Who point number one today is this, is God will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. If you're going to understand how his promises have priority over genetics, you've got to understand that his word will meet you at your weakest point. The Bible says in the middle of darkness, God spoke. He spoke. This is why I try to encourage people to read the scripture. Like, I don't know what God is saying. I'm like, yeah, listen to him. He's speaking. Read the scripture. You'll read things like, he's close to the brokenhearted. Come on, that's encouraged me on more than one occasion. Oh, read Psalm chapter 5, verse 6, where it says that he stores our tears in a bottle. Oh, you thought you were just crying and your tears were hitting your floor. Yet Yahweh, Abba, God in heaven has been storing all your tears. What is that a picture of? It means that God cares about every emotion, every situation, every pain you've ever felt in your life. Such a beautiful picture. He will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. His word. You don't need another encounter with a good preacher. You need his word. Come on, you don't need, listen, you've been looking at faces on the book your entire life. You need an encounter with the word. You need to let the one who whispers the secrets of heaven whisper to you about your family. He uses his word to meet you at your weakest point. So a promise in the middle of her uncertainty, in the middle of her brokenness, a promise was made that took priority over, ooh, genetics. And then the story goes like this. When she became pregnant by one of our kind ancestor, Isaac, and her babies were still in the womb, innocent in the womb, incapable of good or bad, she received special assurance from God. And here's point number two today. My doubts don't dispel the presence of God in my life. Oh, I thought you were going to clap for that, church. My doubts don't dispel the presence of God in my life. Now, here's why this is such a big deal today. Because I was taught from even a young age that if you doubt God, he will dismiss you from his presence. Anybody else? Don't you dare doubt God, young man. He is the creator of the universe. He knows all the things about you. Don't you dare doubt today. If you doubt him, you displease him. If you doubt him, he'll dismiss you. If you doubt him, you're disappointing him. If you doubt him, you're discouraging him. Can I let you in on a secret today? I cannot discourage the one who is the source of joy. My doubts don't dispel the presence of God in my life. They just don't. Now here's what, hopefully this is okay today that I'm just spitballing like this. Call it freestyle preaching, if you will, hello. Because I have something I'm trying to get to you today. My doubts don't dispel him. You know where we get the theology or the thinking? Look, I grew up in a church, uh, and not the church, not the church that uh, I went to on Sunday morning, but the church I went to on Sunday night. Come on, we were one of those double dipping. My mom's like, you need God badly. You are getting a double dipping, okay? Right? So like, um, one's of two different churches. And I was taught, come on, you don't doubt God. They, these people thought everything was sending you to hell. They're like, you play Uno cards? You're going to draw four in hell. I'm like, what? They're like, oh, you, you put ketchup instead of hot sauce on your fried chicken? Hell! You know, like, I'm like, wow! Oh, you were camping and forgot to bring soap and you showered? No, hell, you stink. Okay, right? Like, they thought everything was sending you to hell because they, they were so insecure about being honest about their doubt in the presence of God. Now, watch this. I know where we get this thinking and this theology from. Oh, I figured it out. Where we get it from is that one story in the Bible. Look, this is what we've done. We've taken one story in the Bible and created an entire theology about it, and it's kept people bound for years. It's from the story of doubting 
Thomas. Exactly, you know it. I suggest to you that is a poor interpretation for a man who was a man of God. Because before they would have called him Thomas the Doubter, they would have called him Thomas the Brave. There was a story early in the scripture where Jesus said, I must go to the cross to die. I'm going. And he said, you, who's coming with me? And the disciples were like, nose goes, right? Like, no, we're not going. But Thomas said, let us go that we might die with him. Who said that? Thomas. Thomas the Brave. But because of one moment of doubt, we have labeled the entire legacy of a man of God based on one moment. But let's be honest today. Any one of us would have doubted God in the situation that Thomas found himself in. I suggest to you there were more closet doubters in the room. They just didn't speak up because they didn't have the courage of Thomas. Let me explain it to you. The Bible says that the, Jesus appeared to the other disciples before he appeared to Thomas. So Thomas was by himself. The disciples come to tell him, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And Thomas is like, uh, I want to see the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. Now, mind you, the people in the room did not call Thomas a doubter. It's the Christians who came thousands of years after that experience that called Thomas a doubter because Thomas was asking, I want to see the holes in his hands and his side, which is exactly what Jesus showed the other disciples when he showed up to them. So none of them would have called Thomas a doubter, but these people who are thousands of years removed from that story called Thomas a doubter. So Thomas asked something that maybe all of us would ask. He saw Jesus down the cross and he's like, I want to believe he's alive, but I need to see the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. He's doubting. Now watch this. They say, after Thomas and the disciples have this conversation, Jesus shows up in their presence. He didn't even use the door. He showed up like a bad ex-girlfriend who still has a key, right? Like just in the room. Like Jesus, how did you get in here? Can you use it? Can you not? Right? You know that girl. She's like, I got in here. I still have a key. I'm like, why? Somebody call 911. <laughs> he shows up unannounced. He's in the room. And he extends his hands. Thomas, put your hands in the holes in my hands. Because we have a savior who we read about today. A high priest that identifies with all of our weaknesses. Jesus is not afraid for you to touch you. Jesus is not afraid for you to touch his wounds. And he's not afraid to touch your wounds. Put your hands in the holes in my hands. And put your hand in the hole in my side. And because we lack the Holy Spirit when we're reading the Bible, we have taken that story for multiple generations and said, see, Jesus showed up to embarrass Thomas. See, Jesus showed up to mess up with Thomas. But that can't be true today. You're like, why? Because Christian history, now this is not in the Bible, but it's just Facts, Christian history, tells us that Thomas was the disciple that took the gospel farthest. He took it to India. So much so that people call him St. Thomas and many Indians take on the last name Thomas. So Thomas goes and he becomes an apostolic voice in India. He plants churches. He releases uh, all the faith in the world to plant churches and see the power of God move. He even is martyred for his faith, we find out through Christian history. And I look at that story and I go, does that look like a man who was embarrassed or a man who was empowered? Does that look like a man who was embarrassed by Jesus showing up in the room? Or does it look like the man who was ignited? Come on, your doubts don't dispel the presence of God in your life. Thomas takes the gospel where no, the, no other disciple goes. Because in the middle of his doubt, he found out that God is not pushing him away. That God is not dispelling his presence. God is not intimidated with your doubts today. He's not intimidated with your darkness today. You're like, you don't understand, dude. This has been in our family for 20 generations. 
And I know the God who's been looking at your family for 20 generations, waiting for one person to rise to the cause to say, no, 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 his promises have priority over our genetics. Aren't you tired of seeing multiple generations of your family have that addiction? Aren't you tired of multiple generations of your family preparing for a disease that God had intended for you to pray out of your family? Aren't you tired of all the medication? Can I, find, can I tell you what I found out about church people? I start talking like this and you guys get upset. You know why? Because you actually like that your family has that disability so you don't actually have to do anything for God. Well, you understand, we've been, our family's been going through this for multiple generations, and it's just kind of be crazy. We're trying to figure out our family stuff. Yeah, yeah, so you don't have to do any God stuff. So you don't have to be the, oh, oh my gosh, okay, fine. I, I, maybe I need to go to the notes so I stop talking like this. But, but, but this is our story, is that we've actually been comfortable with it, and we've actually been living with it, and now we're fine with it. It is an absolute dragon that has been tearing apart our family, but we're okay living with it. Yeah, that's just how dad is. No. Can I tell you, whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies, even in the spiritual world. Whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. Let me explain. In Genesis, Satan is a snake, right? In Revelations, he's a dragon. Somebody's been feeding that thing. Stop feeding your family's brokenness. Stop feeding your family's insecurity. Stop feeding your family's financial problems. Yeah, we just don't have it. We never had. But what if God wants to give it to you so you can be a conduit of blessing and hope in this community? At what point, church? At what point are you going to say enough is enough? At what point are you going to stand in agreement based on the promises of God? 8,800, 24, one for each hour of each day and say this is who he's called us to be. At what point? She received special assurance from God. He has come to assure you today. He's come to assure you today that he still answers prayer. He still ministers to the broken. You know, as a dad, my experience, I got to be done. My, my, my experience of God has grown as a dad. Because even though my daughter has attitude, I'm like, do you love God? She's like, Elmo, I push her down because I'm Pentecostal, amen? Even though I, my daughter tests me, and she does test me, I've learned so much about the heart of God because I was taught that that can't happen. She received special assurance from God. I don't know where I picked up that thought. I just learned that it couldn't happen, that God doesn't, why do you need assurance? Just trust him, brother. That's what I was taught. Except now that I have a daughter, whoo, it's changed everything for me because here's what I've understood. I thought that when, that when God was, when I was upset with God, frustrated with God, not believing in God, that he pushed me away. That he moved me to the side. But, but now, in those moments, I found my daughter, when she's feeling that way towards me, my arms wrapping around her. <laughs> I, I was taught that if you were praying and you fell asleep praying, it was like that moment with Jesus and Peter. like, could you not even wait with me one hour? Could you, could you not have a prayer life? And that sounds good and it preaches good, except when my two-year-old daughter is talking to me and we're spending time together and she falls asleep in my arms, I don't wake her up. I just hold her a little tighter. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, it's exposed me to a different way of thinking about Abba. 
Now, here's what I know. I'm trying to be a good dad, but I know he's a good, good father. So if I, being human with sin and insecurities and things that are wrong in my life, can be a good dad to my daughter in those moments, how much more is he a better father towards you and I? Oh, man. Yo, I'll say it like this, church. We have, go- we have stood on the doctrine. We have stood on this doctrine of no eternal security. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're Arminian. But here's the thing I know. I don't believe in eternal security. I just also don't believe in eternal insecurity. I don't believe every time there's a problem in my life, God's crossing my name out the Lamb's book of life. I choose to believe Jesus, who is the perfect picture of what God is like, who says, they're in my hands and no one can snatch them out of my hands. Okay, fine. She, she gave him special assurance from God. Well, God in this case has made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do. And when I read that, people start, mm, I don't know. He doesn't believe in righteousness. He doesn't believe in holiness. No, no, I believe you are righteous. The righteousness of Christ right now, not based on your good works, but on the undeserved grace of God. I believe because God is merciful and because he's kind and because he's favorable towards you and I, that when he looks at us, even in our sin, he doesn't see us, but us covered by the blood of his son. You don't get to work it out. And here's point number three is you cannot stop the purpose of God on your life. You can't stop the purpose of God on your family. You're like, yes, you can. What God did is make it perfectly clear that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do. And that makes us uncomfortable. Now, some of you are like, well, if that's the case, sir, I will do whatever I want. And if that's your thinking, then you don't even know Jesus. His purpose is it's not a hit or miss thing. You know, like, he is more in control of this than you and I understand. He, and he's, look, our God, the scripture says that the earth is his footstool. He can hold it in his hands, but sometimes it's a footstool. You can't stop that God's purpose. You can't stop his prerogative. You can delay it. You could delay it with your disobedience. You could delay it with cautious living. You could delay it when you refuse to pray, but you cannot stop it. At some point, someone in your family line is going to stand in the gap and begin to intercede until they see the power of God flow through your family like it was intended to. You can delay this purpose. You cannot stop it. You can't. What am I saying today? I guess what I'm saying is that it's just harder to mess up this faith in you think. And I know that's a different way of thinking. No, no, no. I, I know how to mess it up. I'm sure you do. But just hear me. You are not insecure in Christ. <laughs> People don't understand this. And it's why they don't choose to fight for their family. They're so worried about themselves. So worried about if their hands are clean they don't care about what's happening around them. Let me say it like this. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I need to be done. A couple years ago, I was uh, having a bonfire with all of my leaders. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a kind of guy that makes fires. I'm not that guy. I don't like camping. I don't want to pretend to be homeless. Hello? 
let's go outside into the woods and camp and potentially get eaten. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. So I'm not like a fire guy, but I was having a bonfire. My wife's like, listen, all the leaders are coming over. You need to make a fire. So I was, I was on YouTube, you know. Never got it. I couldn't get started. Then I found this video that says you can get this stuff from Walmart. You sprinkle on it and you feel like a man. So I, I sprinkled it on the fire, like on the wood. Psh, fire came right up. I said, I'm, I'm a genius. So I'm, I'm at this, uh, I'm at this bonfire with my leaders and we had a big night. We had a night, we had 700 students, 150 students come to Christ. We're celebrating. That's why we're having the bonfire. And my little daughter is marching towards the fire. Leaders are coming up to me. They're going, Pastor Peter, you are incredible. We're so thankful you are a leader. We're so thankful. Man, we prayed for God to move like this amongst our students for multiple generations. Man, we're so excited. The entire time they're praising me, my little daughter's over here. And I turn and Charlie's about to get into the fire. And I snatched her. Mm! And the first thing I did is I held her. And I looked if my wife was watching. Because that means a divorce, okay? So I was like, okay. She, she would kill me if she saw that. I held her tight. Oh. Leaders are so coming. Oh my gosh. We didn't see her. Oh my gosh. We didn't know. Oh my gosh. I said, listen. I brought all my leaders together. I said, I don't need you to tell me how great I am. I need you to take care of the one that I love. I can't help but wonder if God is looking at you and I. We're like, you're so great. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. But the people he's entrusted into our lives are marching towards the fire. Right? You understand what I'm saying? If he is a promise keeper, then let us keep his promise as well to take care of the ones he's entrusted us to so they don't march towards the fire. I said to my leaders, if you actually want to make me feel comfortable, if you actually love me, don't tell me how great I am. Take care of the ones that I love. You hear what I'm saying, church? You're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go serve the community. No, no, I'm talking about at home talking about at home you know that everyone was mad there was a school shooting sorry if this is sensitive there was a school shooting I won't say which one in case you're close to the situation but there was an officer that was criticized and rightfully so because there was a school shooting happening and when he got into the building he went to use the hand sanitizer you guys remember this he went to use the hand sanitizer now let me say it like this clean hands are a good thing they are like, we don't want somebody serving us food and they're like, I just used the bathroom, sorry. They're like, no, go sanitize your hands. Clean hands are a good thing. You know when they're not a good thing? When people are getting shot. Of course he's criticized. You mean to tell me there are kids getting gunned down and all you can care about is your clean hands? What are you trying to say to us, Pastor Peter? God doesn't care how clean your hands are when his kids are getting shot at. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, I, maybe this is too much. I'm sorry. Should have stuck to the notes. I'm just saying though, I want you to have clean hands too. Let Jesus clean your hands. You march towards the mess to be a part of solving the problem. God, I'm going to redeem our family. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to believe. I'm not worried about clean hands. I want to see you bring my family into relationship with Christ. Okay, all right. 
Okay, let me just say it like this. And worship team, you can come back up. I'm done. I know we're supposed to be dismissing. I had a young lady in my youth ministry. Her name is Sophia. And uh, she has an attitude. Hello, somebody. But she loved God. And I remember when she came to church and uh, she heard me start talking about not just personal destiny, but corporate legacy. Not just personal destiny, but corporate legacy. She heard me talk about this. She said, Pastor Peter, I want to see God win my family to him. So she said, I'm going to pray every day. I said, okay, I'm praying with you. A couple weeks later, she came to me and she said, I got to confess something. I was like, uh, can I get a female leader here? She's like, I need to confess something. I said, what do you want to confess? She said, I want to confess that I've been stealing from the church. I said, you've been stealing from, what you been stealing? She was like, anointing oil. I was like, okay, you stole, that's bad, but it's anointing oil. So do they cancel each other out? I don't know. I said, what are you doing with the oil? She said, you told me that God could save my family. She was a first generation Christian. She said, so I've been taking the oil and anointing my house. My parents keep walking around like, what does that smell? She's like, my parents look like they're going through puberty again. They have pimples all over their face because I anoint their pillows. She's like, God's going to do a miracle, Pastor Peter. I said, okay. She said, I've been trying to get my family to come to church and they won't come. But then this is what she decided. She decided to get baptized. She decided to get baptized and her family decided to come. And that's a lesson for every single one of us. That when we want to see the people we love come to Christ, we have to make public confessions of faith. Come on, you complain to the people that you want to see God save. How about you give them a praise report? How about you stand up for what you actually believe in? How about you actually believe God for something and then can celebrate it when he does it? So she decides to get baptized. Her family comes to church. Your boy is in the tank with her. So I'm in the tank. I'm a tall 5'7 church. But when I'm in that tank, I'm like LeBron James. I'm just dunking people. It's awesome. And when she came up to get baptized, I baptized her. I held her under there a little longer. I knew who she was before Christ. I said, let it get all out in Jesus' name. Let it get all out. She was like, I was under there for a long time. I said, not long enough. Praise him. Some of you are like, that is terrible. I'm sorry, it's just a joke. Kind of. Um, she gets baptized. At the, end of the mess- at the end of that moment, our pastor preaches a great word. Her parents come down to give their life to Christ. She comes sprinting out of the back with wet hair and all. There's an altar worker waiting there to receive her parents. And she pushes the altar worker out of the way and said, you did not intercede for them. You didn't anoint them. You didn't cry out to God for them. So you don't get to lead them to the Lord. I will lead my parents to Jesus. Why am I telling you that story today? Because at what point are you going to take responsibility for what God has put you in? What is it if a man gains the whole world but he loses his soul? What is it if the man ministers to the whole world but loses his family? God wants to use you. Of course he wants to use you in the earth. But I think he wants to start with that home. <laughs> okay. Stay with me today. I'm, I'm done. All right. I really don't know what that was. If that was a sermon or a rant or a talk, I don't know. But I just know this today. That you and I have to stand in the gap for our family. We need to undo what the enemy has planted as seeds of brokenness in our family history and legacy and lineage. Do you know who the hardest person it was to lead to the Lord? Nobody I've ever preached to. It was my dad. It was my father. 
He had a heart, he had a heart attack and a stroke and he was dying. And my mom said, you better get down here and come see your dad. I said, why? He's never come to see me. She says, you better get down there. You're a pastor. So I walk into that room. Oh yeah, I was already in ministry. So I walk into that room. I see my dad hopeless and lifeless. I was so frustrated that he looked so helpless because I was starting to feel compassion for him and it made me upset. I walked out of the room. My mom is like a 4-4 African lady. She's like, son, go back in that room and win your father to the Lord. She's like, you don't want him to go to hell. I was like, mom, he can make me visit. Pit stop. She said, go back in that room, son. Went back in that room. My dad held his hand out. I was like, is he asking me to hold his hand? We've never held hands before in my entire life. Put my hand in my dad's hand. I said, well, if I'm going to do it, let's make it weird. Interlock, you know? Hi, daddy. And led my father to the Lord, the most important person I will ever lead to Jesus in my life. And he couldn't barely talk, but I just saw a couple tears stream out of his eyes as he made his peace with God. And the Lord said, that's some of the most important ministry you'll ever do. And now he's gone. Gone to be on with the Lord. And it's not even fair. He didn't live for God. He wasn't surrendered to the Lord. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, just like the thief on the cross. But at least I stood in the gap. Changing the narrative of our family forever. First preacher in my entire family line. For the glory of God. Why? Because his promises have priority over genetics. I'm done today. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, we're going to step into a moment of intercession. I just pray your kingdom come and your will be done in this last five minutes. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Help us, God, to see what you see in our families. Lord, undo all the seeds of brokenness that the enemy has planted. Give us faith today to declare forgiveness. Give us faith today to declare diseases gone, disappearing right now. Give us faith to believe, God, that addictions won't last on. Give us faith to believe for a better future for the generations to come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Here's what I'm going to do today. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor Peter, I do not know Jesus, but I want to. I want to be close to God. I don't care if you prayed this prayer one time or a thousand times. If that's you today, I'm going to count to three one time. And if that's you, you say, I need to step in the right relationship with God. I need him to move in my life. Look, if that's you, I want to see it happen today. All of us will be cheering with you. It will be the most transformative moment of your entire life. I promise you. If that's you, you say, I feel far from God, but I don't want to be. I don't care if it's one time or it's been 50 times. Right now is a moment. Jesus, move in this room.